0: part 1 chapter 25 of short history of the christian church by john fletcher hurst this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 25 christian life and usages the charitable spirit of the church in the apostolic time took larger form in the patristic period there was no need of christians in one place which did not awaken sympathy everywhere when Cyprian saw that the Numidian Christians could not pay the required ransom of their captive brethren, he took a large collection in Carthage for that purpose, and sent it to them with a letter full of fraternal expressions. Dionysius of Corinth lauded the Roman society as the helper of Christians without distinction from its very origin. Dionysius of Alexandria, in a letter to Stephen, bishop of Rome, paid the same tribute. Basil of Cappadocia wrote a letter of thanks to Rome for money sent him to redeem captive Christians from their barbarous foes. Demetrius drew a striking picture of the sacrifice of Christians during the pestilence in Alexandria. Gifts for the support of the church were made at each service. Often these consisted in wares or produce of the soil, according to the pursuits of the people. In the east a fixed sum, or the tithes, was held to be the proper standard of annual beneficence. But in the West there was no rule. The great teachers opposed any defined measure, saying that the Lord required all that could be spared. A careful record, the matricula, was preserved of all the details of the benefactions. The incentives to knowledge were very great. The transition from paganism to Christianity was a thorough revolution the field of christian knowledge was a new world in the schools catechetical exercises prevailed the secular sciences were subordinated to religion christianity did not build up its great libraries but the books written by the leading christian thinkers were already read with profound interest each church was the center of knowledge copies of the scriptures were expensive but were multiplied and each church possessed several copies together with expository and other works all these were for the benefit of the congregation in the intervals of service and during the week there was a special room for the use of books which was called the frontisterion or thinking shop one of the first impulses of the new christian who was possessed of means was to employ copyists and have the entire scriptures transcribed for loaning or presenting to other churches or private circles. Even during the time of persecution so many copies of the scriptures had found their way into private hands that the pagan wrath was aroused. During the Diocletian persecution especially, their possessors were ordered to deliver up vast numbers of them. Even the pagan enemies secured copies, for the works of Celsus, Periphery, Heracles, and others give abundant proof that the authors must have had a personal inspection of some portions of the Bible. The domestic life was in direct contrast with everything pagan. There were, therefore, no reminders of the old idolatry. The typical Greek and Roman houses had been profusely adorned with figures, busts, and monograms of favorite divinities. But even this was a decline from the early Roman austerity for nearly two centuries after the founding of rome no citizen had so far accommodated himself to the superstition of greece or egypt as to erect a statue to any deity but the times brought sad changes the excavations in pompeii and the many memorials of art from the roman ruins show how thoroughly the later art was superseded by a gross idolatry the christian's first impulse was to put away all such things he lost no time in blotting out every trace of the obedient mercury the majestic apollo the generous ceres and even the omnipotent jove from doorway court and hall but he was not satisfied with this severe absence of all symbolism even the more cautious christian writers encouraged a safe and proper counterpart to the polytheistic symbolism of their pagan adversaries clement of alexandria urged the use of christian symbols on seal rings and named as proper figures the dove as an image of the holy ghost the fish with reference to the call of zebedee's sons to be fishers of men the ship as an emblem of the advancing church the lear as a type of christian joy and the anchor as an expression of hope the crucifix was never used every great teacher was an industrious correspondent paul had set the example and it was diligently followed by his successors in evangelization epistolary writings had long been a favorite roman fashion cicero seneca pliny and many other authors Chose the form of the letter to an individual, in order to inform the public of their views on many special subjects. The fathers of the Church chose, therefore, a means of information which they found in use already, both from apostolic and pagan example. The letters of Polycarp and Origen, and the eighty six warm and nervous epistles of Cyprian, were only a small part of the epistolary benefaction of those times to the later Church. A number of the apologists addressed their works to roman emperors the christians were largely represented among the commercial and laboring classes and often changed their abodes they followed the lines of commerce as in the united states many christian people from the atlantic seaboard have gone into the far western regions and taken with them their religious spirit and built churches so in the third and fourth centuries the Christians observed the new openings of business and planted Christian societies in the places where they settled. Between the old and new societies a frequent correspondence was maintained. Christians who went upon a journey, for any purpose, were often the bearers of letters to be delivered on the way or on reaching the place of destination. When these letters arrived, being on a durable fabric, either papyrus or parchment, they became the permanent possessions of the society or the individual receiving them the synodical letters which were written after each session of the provincial synod to similar bodies in other provinces will convey some idea of the extent to which official relationship was carried when action was taken on a schism or on any special subject the utmost promptness was employed to communicate the fact far and wide while a bishop on being chosen to the office was equally prompt in sending notifications of his election to his colleagues in every part of christendom the most distant parts of the church were brought into close relationship also by personal visitation the fathers were busy travellers many parts of the east were even safer then for the stranger than they are today. the christians followed classic examples the greek and roman authors had been in the habit of visiting places which they described homer certainly saw the troad for the iliad bears internal evidence of a personal examination herodotus journeyed in many lands now among the priests of the upper nile and now in asia minor endeavouring to verify the country by contact with the people and their land sallust visited africa in order to be faithful in his picture of jugurtha jerome lingered long in palestine in order to make sure work in his exegetical studies papius bishop of hierapolis conceived the happy thought of visiting palestine and trying to find among the most aged people of different countries some who had seen our lord in the flesh for said he I did not think that I could get so much aid from the books as from the words of those living and remaining. Out of this tour grew his explanation on the discourses of our Lord. Polycarp, in his extreme age, or about A.D. 158, visited Rome, to come to an understanding with the bishop, and Assestus concerning the baptism of heretics and the observance of Easter. Irenaeus labored in Asia Minor, Gaul, and Rome. From the journey of Hegesippius from the east to Rome came many interesting facts concerning early church history. Among these was the finding of Menetho's catalogue of the kings of Egypt. In those days we regard the journey of Ararat as an undertaking of remarkable difficulty, but Julius made it in the interest of sacred science and identified it as the mountain on which the ark had rested. He also visited the Dead Sea, and located the site of Sodom and Gomorrah. Clement of Alexandria was a diligent traveller over three continents. Origen appears to have visited every part of the Christian world, including far-off Persia. Rufinus studied the monastic life by personal observation among the monks of the Nitrian desert jerome was an ideal traveler in the interest of sacred learning he located himself in palestine in order to learn the idiomatic construction of the biblical text from contact with the people he employed as a special teacher in hebrew a jew who instructed him by night lest the christians might learn of it and take offense he even visited cilicia in order to learn the deep force and subtle meaning of paul's epistles it need not occasion surprise that with such pains jerome should easily stand at the head of the latin church and that to his patient and thorough scholarship the world should be indebted for the vulgate version this is the beautiful justification which he gave for this sojourn in palestine Quote, as the history of the greeks is better understood by him who has seen athens and virgil's third book by him who has sailed from the troad to sicily and from there to the mouth of the Tiber, so do the holy scriptures become clearer to him who has seen Judea with his own eyes, and has made himself acquainted with the recollections of the old cities and the names of the places, whether they are the same or have been changed. Therefore, I had it in heart to undertake this work, in connection with the most learned Jews, so that I have wandered through the country from which all the churches of Christ take their tone end quote End of chapter twenty five